This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And welcome, 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 and good morning, good afternoon, wherever you may be. You're here live with Dr. Jeff Werber, your host for the next 30 minutes on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Dr. Jeff, as well as my Instagram Live. Thank you for uh, joining me. Good to have you. I was, as you know, gone last week. I was at a conference in Las Vegas at the Western Veteran Conference, which was fantastic. And um, I started Sunday morning, last Sunday, those of you who may have seen, uh, on KTLA Live, uh, doing uh, Ask the Experts piece that... Is going to be somewhat of a recurring piece, which is really cool. And then that was Sunday morning. From there, straight to the airport, flew to Vegas. And then Monday morning, I was on Fox 5 in Vegas, which uh, is a more show, which is it goes from 10 to 11 right after the news, morning news. And um, again, it was fun. I got to work with my friend Jason Feinberg. Interesting. I met Jason years and years ago, just randomly at doing a segment. I, I, you know, I had a PR company I was working with, and they got me booked on a segment, talking about some things. I was in town for the Western Vet Conference, and just so happens the host I talked to was Jason Feinberg, who turns out to be a cat fanatic. So it, that was basically solidified our relationship. And now every time I'm in Vegas, I mean, practically almost every time, I end up talking to Jason, tell him I'm going to be in town, and uh, I get on the show. And last time, Jason was busy doing another piece when they wanted me. So I worked with Mike Davis, who was also great. So it was sort of like meant to be connection because now uh, all I have to do is call either one of them, letting them know I'm going to be in town and uh, they work to get me on. So uh, uh, it was cool. It was a fun segment. And uh, we just talked about some new things in veterinary medicine and uh, just a lot of new stuff. So anyway... If there are any questions, you know how to get a hold of me, 877-385-8882. Once again, 877-385-8882. You can also, better yet, is join me here live on Zoom by going to PetLifeRadio.com. Click on Shows, Ask the Vets Dr. Jeff here on Instagram. Well, you're already here. Just ask away. I do have a chat here on PetLife. Six-year-old husky not been spayed down to Pymetra Tour. What's the best prevention for Giardia? Thank you very much. So, Janine, talk about your husky. First of all, Pyometra is potentially dangerous. Uh, certainly, if we get, first of all, to clarify, Pyometra is a uterine infection. It can only happen in intact dogs. Even if you are, if, for example, European uh, veterinarians do not do ovariohysterectomies, they do ovariectomies. All they do is remove the ovaries, leaving the uterus. I don't know historically how it happened, but here, as far as I can remember, um, you know, I've been practicing for 39 years, but even way before that, when I was working as a technician, it was always the OVH, ovariohysterectomy. Why? I don't know, but obviously thousands, hundreds of thousands of dogs in Europe and in South American countries are just getting ovariectomies and doing just fine. So who knows? And if there's no estrogen influence, you can't get a pyometra, even with the uterus still there. So the belief is that when you spay a dog by doing just a variectomy, just removing the ovaries without removing the uterus, the uterus without any hormone influence, because the ovaries are now gone, just dries up like a band of tissue. It's just gone. So why take them out? I don't know. But we've been doing it here forever. Pyometra is a uterine infection. 
and it can be very serious. There's an open pio and a closed pio. Open pio is where you can actually see the pus, the purulent material exiting through the vaginal canal. And then you have the closed, which cannot get out for some reason. And that, I'm telling you, you don't want to see them. But if you do, I have plenty pictures of the uteruses of these dogs with pio that are literally this big, filled with pus. I, I, I think I have one where I, I actually sliced it open and you can see, I, I mean, it's really disgusting. You know, as a veterinarian, who has his hands everywhere. There are very few things that are, I would say, are disgusting. That one, that one is disgusting. And uh, it's like, you know, when you lance those big cat abscesses, right? Or getting anal gland secretion in your face, that's disgusting. So uh, trust me, all those things have happened to me. So um, anyway, so I, I highly recommend spaying her. It's a great preventive measure when it comes to preventing pyometra. You know, one thing I will say that when you spay a dog because of pyo, and it certainly can be done, in fact, that's the treatment of choice, that you're spaying a sick dog, you're anesthetizing a sick dog. If you do it now as an elective procedure, then your odds of having less complications from an anesthetic perspective are obviously much less. So, well, it's better to do it as far as your odds of a, of a good outcome. So I would do it now. Interestingly, even with breeding females, with legitimate, you know, experienced breeders, that they will spay their own dog, have their own dog spayed, their females, after seven years of age. Why? Because once they know they're past that age of not going to be using them for breeding anyway, get them spayed. So my recommendation is do it. Now, prevention of giardia. You know, you really can't prevent it. You don't want to keep them on medication forever just in case. Now, if you have a dog, you know, how do they get giardia? That's a better question. They get giardia by licking either the poop, eating the poop, drinking water, contaminated water, like at a dog park, where dogs have are licking each other and they get the, the poop on the mouth and they go into the water bowl and it's sitting there and they drink the water. That's how the oocysts are shed. So you want to prevent it. Don't let your dog eat poop. Don't let your dog lick grass where clearly another dog went and don't let them drink out of public water bowls. Then those are things you could do to help prevent giardia. It's not airborne. The oocysts have to be ingested. So if you can somehow prevent that, then you're going to be in good shape. As I'm waving, I'm looking at questions. All right, let's go to uh, Katie Poo about asking her little Frenchie Rip Foster, pooping four to six times a day. Yeah, that might be a little excessive. It could be, it's probably not um, a, a disease. It could be parasites. If it's a foster, have a, the stool checked. It's probably overeating, um, maybe too much fiber in the diet. Now, if all the stools are normal, then he's got a lot of waste. And that means he might be, you might be feeding him more than he needs to be fed. You could start maybe cutting back on the food a little bit. Does he look like now? Also, if he was a foster and he's in a good situation now, and he's not, he's not being fed too little, but he's actually eating well and he's sort of catching up, it's possible that he's pooping more than he should be. Four times a day could be okay. I think three to four, two to three to two to four is probably more normal. Unless he's, you know, well, clearly his expression, he's full of poop. But anyway, try cutting back the food a little bit. So my friend Val tested positive this morning for COVID and she wanted to know, can her dog get it? Dogs do not get sick from COVID. They may can carry it for a very short time. And that is the big issue. They can carry it, but they don't transmit it. Now, cats, on the other hand, there have been cases where they can get it and transmit it. That's not what happens with dogs. So I wouldn't worry. Uh, Val, 
But as I said, he won't get sick because they just, they don't, they don't get sick from it. Okay, next up. Oh, we're ready for a break. Let's take a break now. Don't go away. We'll be right back after these short words. Hang in there with us. How many of you have pets? My hand's raised. Now think about how lucky you are to have such a sweet little pet in your life. And that pet is lucky to have you too. But unfortunately, there are countless pets out there that don't have a home to call their own. However, Bob's from Skechers is trying to change that. So we developed Bob's for dogs and cats to help pets in need. With every purchase of adorable Bob's footwear or fun stylish apparel, or even the cutest Bob's pet accessories, Skechers makes a donation to Petco Love to help save shelter pets. And with your help, we've already saved the lives of over 1 million pets and raised over $7 million. So while you're getting style and comfort with features like Skechers' famous memory foam cushioning, you're also helping to save an adorable pet in need and helping another lucky owner be connected with a future best friend and companion because happiness is having a loving pet by your side. Find Bob's at a Skechers store, Skechers.com, select pet co-locations, or wherever stylish footwear is sold. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. We're back. A couple of things I thought interesting. You know, I always like to peruse what's going on in the veterinary world. So um, this is interesting. <laughs> Not surprising, but interesting. So in New York City, they're seeing... Let me go back to the COVID question. So dogs can possibly carry COVID for a very short time, but they don't get it, nor can they retransmit it. I would say that if you have COVID and you have dogs, some recommend because they can you know, maybe test positive, but they don't seem to get sick by it. And then the question is, can they transmit it? And the answer is no. So therefore, I wouldn't worry too much. So keep that in mind. Cats, however, if you have cats and you have COVID, you might want to be a little careful because there have been instances. Now, cats can get sick from it, but they don't get very sick at all. It's like a, a very light respiratory infection. It's not like really bad COVID. So just keep that in mind. But dogs, I'm not too worried, Val. So uh, if you want, you can sleep with, uh, you know, let her be with you. Um, you can breathe into her face, but I wouldn't be too concerned. All right. If there are more questions, I'll answer them. Meanwhile, I was about to say, so not surprising, you know, a lot of states have, have, you know, sort of decriminalized marijuana for recreational use. And since then, many, many of the emergency facilities have been seeing more problems with marijuana toxicity. So basically, it's not just you because it's out there. So it's things like getting into garbage, thrown away cigarette butts, edibles that, you know, maybe you toss some away or you put in your garbage, you think you're cool because you don't want to have too much and you, you throw the extra, whatever the case may be, those things. And it's not just in your home. It's also in parks. So sidewalks. So anyway, understand that there are, we should learn from New York City because we're not the cleanest people here either with our sidewalks, that you keep your eye on your dogs because there are potential issues with marijuana, marijuana toxicity. Now, this was also really, really interesting. Howling versus barking. So this was a great study, and I thought it was really fun. So what they did was they took very young dogs, and they played wolf howling, okay? And most dogs under five weeks of age will howl, all right? Puppies, young dogs, if they hear the howling, they will howl. Adult dogs over five, what they found is the closer they are genetically to a wolf, from a generation standpoint, 
they are likely to howl as well. But dogs over five that are further away from their wolf ancestors will bark when they hear the howl. So any breed that they say, like, you know, I would imagine the breeds that kind of look like wolves, like your Malamutes, your Huskies, things like that, they might howl, which interestingly, they usually do. And dogs that are further away, um, they will um, probably bark after they, and when they hear that howling sound. So um, that's pretty cool about our uh, about ancestries. So um, Eloise, hi, thanks for joining. I know that uh, we have to talk later on today. Anyway, uh, you know, that was just, just a tidbit. Next time you're sitting around and you're having coffee and you're talking to your friends and you got on the subject of dogs, that's a fun fact. Dogs close to wolves, when they hear howling, they will howl. Dogs farther away genetically, her, you know, from a heredity standpoint, they will probably bark. One thing that I'm, as I'm, I'm doing, I have a surgeon coming in Tuesday to do a surgery that their wide receivers and retrievers have a very common injury. How do you like that for, for a play on words? And that is knee injuries we call ligaments. Now, we know people get ACL, okay? That's an anterior cruciate ligament. Technically, when it comes to animals, we call it a CCL, cranial cruciate ligament. It's the same ligament, and they can tear it. And if there's a partial tear, small dogs that aren't that active, they can live with, the, live with it. But active dogs that start tearing ligament, every time that ligament now is not 100%, it might be 80%. So the more they tax that ligament, or the more they use it, they run, they jump, they pivot, that since it's now only 80% of its regular strength, it is more likely to tear more fibers. And typically, especially with big active dogs, there's really no such thing as a partial tear. There is, but it's ultimately going to tear. And I remember working with a surgeon years ago, Dr. Ed Leeds, great surgeon. And when people said, no, they want to wait, they want to treat it conservatively when their dog had a CCL tear. And you can see it on x-ray. You can get what's called a drawer sign. You can get a, a fusion in the joint itself. You can feel the tibia, the tibial tuberosity advance. So these all signs that there is a cruciate tear. And he used to say, and he was a very conservative surgeon, by the way. He, he wasn't one of these cut-happy surgeons. If there was a way to treat something medically, he would definitely try that first. The owner would come to cruciates, he would laugh when the owner said, no, we, we want to wait, we want to, we're going to try to see if we can nurse him and rest. And he would say in his mind, he's saying, I'm going to see you on my surgery table at some point. And he was right. It was a question of pay me now or pay me later. Interestingly, with the, with the new technique, that the, either the tibial tuberosity advancement, TTA, or the one that I like, the TPLO, especially for these big dogs, the truth is it really doesn't make a difference. It's the exact same surgery. So ah, why wait? My fear is if you wait too long, then you're going to get muscle atrophy because of misuse or lack of use of that leg, which then is going to make the rehab more difficult and longer. So if you have a dog that has a cruciate injury and there already is a drawer sign, we call it anterior drawer sign, all right, then you want to get it. And there's a fusion in the joint and there's limping, holding up the leg. You just get it fixed because it's better to do it earlier when there's still enough muscle tone, that's going to make the rehab a lot easier. Um, now, here's another scary fact about cruciate ligaments in dogs. And that is, especially in the big dogs, the big, very active dogs where you would expect it. So the thing is that when a dog blows a cruciate, there is a 75% chance that they will blow the other one, the other side. Now, interestingly, a lot of the pet insurance companies will therefore, because they can't prove, is this a genetic predisposition or not? Or is it just because it was a bad injury? Dog's active, running around, you know, did a pivot, got his leg, who knows? You know, was chased by, you know, bumped in at a dog park and, you know, was sideswiped. That's how football players get it. It's a hyperextension injury. And so then they will cover the first one. 
but they won't cover the second one. So if your dog blows a cruciate, even if you have pet insurance, start saving now because you're, you're going to need a second surgery, 75% chance, and they're not going to cover it. Question is, we're here, it says, is all dogs tail an extension of their spine? Okay. The answer is yes and no. Why would it be legal to crop any dog's tail? So first of all, tail cropping is not as done, is not as accepted anymore. If you notice, there are a lot of, I see all the time, I see Dobies with tails. I see Rottweilers with tails. You know, a lot of these dogs that were chopped, the end of the, the main spinal cord ends just before the lumbosacral junction. And that was the last, the pudendal nerve, the last major nerve exits the space between the LS junction. That's why dogs with LS disease, lumbosacral instability, they have a lot of pain. And also sometimes when a dog has a tail avulsed, where the tail for some reason gets stuck in something, they pull forward or someone pulls them back by the tail, the nerve that is often destroyed is the pudendal nerve. And that's why these dogs lose their anal tone, lose their bladder sphincter tone. That's because the pudendal. Now, as far as tail docking, there are obviously nerves that go through there, but the spinal cord doesn't go through the tail. So they do it because it was thought that anytime there is potential of, for example, someone pulling on the dog's tail to prevent that, you dock the tail. Some dogs are born without tails. Um, so a lot of the, like the Aussies, for example, Frenchies have very short nub tails. And other dogs like Cocker Spaniels, they still are getting their tails docked. So there is spinal vertebrae called the coccygeal vertebrae that go down the tail, but the spinal canal, the spinal cord doesn't. And so I guess that's how it is justified. And it became a breed standard. It's like, like a lot of breeds have weird breeds. Look at ears, ear cropping. I mean, why? Why did it happen? I think that because they wanted the ears to stand erect. So it'll help not impede their, their hearing abilities. All right. Maybe also ear infection. Notice some of the dogs that get the worst ear infections are dogs that have these heavy, thick ears that are flopping down. Cocker spaniels, for example. So the thought was, I mean, again, I'm, I wasn't in their brain to know why. I, you know, they do it in the Adobe, but they don't do it in a Rottweiler. The Schnauzers have it. Boxers. I can't remember the last time I've seen a boxer, a young boxer with erect ears because nobody's doing it anymore. So the sentiment is very similar to yours. They're saying, why, why are we doing that? Uh, look, we used to take away front dew claws and for hunting dogs, especially because we were afraid they would get stuck and caught on things. Meanwhile, guess what? When a veterinary orthopedic surgeon was doing slow-mo photography, I think this was at Florida, University of Florida, I'm not sure where, showed slow-mo that when these dogs land after activity or during agility or doing jumping or hunting or whatever they're doing, their foot actually comes down, comes down, all right? And that thumb, that toe that went its way up there actually does hit the ground and it stops them from their wrist, their carpus rotating. So it actually has a function. And therefore, we don't remove them anymore. I don't remove them anymore. Now, if they are floppy and disjointed, like a, most oftentimes, if they have hind dew claws, then I would take them off, except, of course, a breed like the Great Pyrenees, where it's a hallmark of the breed to have those floppy hind double dew claws. So there's so many reasons and factors. Would I anesthetize a dog to do a, the disjointed one to remove it? No. Would I wait until we have a better reason to anesthetize? And that is whether it's a dentistry or a tumor removal, then I will give the client the option that this is an accident waiting to happen. While we have, a, have the dog down, we may as well do it now. But if it's jointed, we don't do it, or at least I don't do it. So things change. The, the attitudes about things change. And um, you know, is it necessary to dock the tail from a medical standpoint? No. There are exceptions. 
for example, with an AVOL's tail, for example, or with a tail that's badly damaged in a fight or does get stuck in a door and has a non-healing wound. If you have a tail, a dog that has happy tail, they are literally wagging that tail like you know, we've seen in, in some pointers, we've seen it in, in Dalmatians, then they're bleeding all over the place. And when that tail whips around and hits the, their own side, all of a sudden you see these white dogs like a Dalmatian, right, with blood all over them, you know, then you might want to dock a tail. So I try to stay away from general rules, and I like to look at each dog as an individual. What's the condition? What's the problem? And then we decide, is this something that needs to be done from a health perspective, not from a cosmetic perspective? So, um, And that's kind of where I draw the line, whether it's something that is for function or form. If it's just form, because the old brief standard said so, I'm not going to do it. And I don't recommend it. I don't do it anymore. I used to, I mean, back in, back in the day, but we, uh, we don't like doing it. All right. A couple of more stories then. Ah, this was also good. We talk about this a lot. I learned this when I was at my seminar in Reaver Creek at my ski CE put on by the Colorado Vet Med Association several weeks ago. Home dental care is a must. And I don't mean just water, treated water or greenies, dental greenies. I mean, those are good. Those are okay, but they're not going to get to the root of the problem. The root of the problem is tartar. Tartar forms from plaque, which is a film left over from food and from the bacteria in the saliva in the mouth. And once that tartar is hardened, you cannot remove it with brushing. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how good the bristles are. They need to be removed professionally with a tartar scraper, with a, you know, uh, an ultrasonic scaling unit. That's what needs to be done. Well, 80% of dogs and 70% of cats have some sort of dental disease by the time they're two to three years of age. Okay. That's a lot. That's a lot. Now, it's preventable by obviously giving your pets regular dental checkups with your veterinarian and regular dental care at home. And the best thing is brushing teeth. So you need to work with your, your veterinarian or someone who knows. There are a lot of ways that dogs can get used to having their teeth brushed. The best thing to do is do it when they're young and make it fun. Make it a positive experience. And with many dogs, if not most, how do you make something positive? Give them treats, food. They love food. They love treats. Make it fun as you're touching the teeth. At first, I recommend a little dentifrice. I'm going to come in and show you because, uh, you know, we talked about this also last week on my show at, at KTLA, but you want to put some of the poultry flavored or, or beef flavored dentifrice, right? Non-sudging made for dogs and just go. I don't like going at them. Dogs don't like when you go at them, go from behind them. So you're standing behind them and you're taking their lung and you're doing it this way from behind and just spend maybe five seconds and they go, oh, girl and give them a treat. And that's it. That's lesson number one. You're done. And each time you go another few seconds and then back and forth and then and go the other side, always treats or do it just before a meal or just before a walk. So now the association is going to be that Pavlovian response is they're going to know as soon as you come at them with your finger and that paste, right? And you start messing with their mouth and their teeth and gums that they're going to eat right away or they're going to get a treat or they're going to go for a walk. And then what you do is once they're, they're good with your finger, you want to get those little finger brushes. There are two types. There's a type that comes with a kit. Those are little rubber bristles. I think they're worthless personally, but what you, you can get the same finger brushes, fit on your finger, slide on a little sleeve with regular toothbrush type bristles. Those are more effective and start brushing your dog's teeth about ideally every day. But I mean, think of it. We brush our teeth a few times a day and we still have to go in regularly for dental cleanings. Can you imagine what our teeth would look like if we didn't brush our teeth or only did it once a week besides the breath? Oh. So, you know, it's very, very beneficial. And as far as a preventive measure, is it going to 
totally prevent you having to take your dogs in professionally? No, but man, you're going to have much better teeth. And well, your dog's going to have much better teeth or your cat. Well, cats are tough. And um, if you get them used to it, then you can do a really, really positive job, a good job helping them not avoid, but prevent the rapid accumulation of the tartar or the calculus in the mouth simply by keeping the plaque away. And that's, uh, that's why I guess that one of the products out there is called plaque away. Anyway, uh, that's all we have time for today. Um, we will talk next week. Mark, are you, you're here next week or no? Nah, next week we're off. So I will be, for those of you on Pet Life Radio, if you want to hop on to my Instagram live, you can do that. For those of you, I will be here next week on Instagram live and we will, um, I'm just talking to you guys. So have some good questions ready, save them and ask them next week. And that way everybody can learn from your questions. And that's the best way we learn sometimes. All right. So save your questions for next week. Mark, have a good week. And uh, we'll see you in, I guess, two. And uh, other than that, those of you who have questions here on Pet Life Radio, uh, just send me to either drjeff at drjeff.com or drjeff at petliferadio.com. Either way, I will get them and um, I will answer them directly to you. So, all right. Have a great week. Uh, those of you who are in L.A., uh, it's pretty day today, but I understand the rain is coming back tomorrow, or I think they say tomorrow and Tuesday or Tuesday and Wednesday. We're not out of the woods yet. But if you are here in LA, you got to look out your window, see if you can look sort of north, northeast, and look at the mountains. They are absolutely stunning. Snow on all the mountains, past the Hollywood sign. If you can see the Hollywood sign, look beyond the Hollywood sign. And from where I am, I'm looking at these gorgeous snow-capped mountains. Great sight for here in LA. We don't see that very often. All right. See y'all next week. Be well. Let's Talk Pets. Every week on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com.